Innalhamdulillah Nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'ghfiruh Wa na'udhu billahi min syururi anfusina wa sayyiati a'malina Man yahdihillahu falamudillalah Wa man yudlil falahadiyalah Wa ashadu an la ilaha illallahu wahdahu la sharika lah Wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh Amma ba'd Today we're going to start on the section, the following section. Fasl. وَلَا يَصِحُ السَّوْمِ إِلَّا بِنِيَّةِ كَسَائِرِ الْعِبَادَاتِ لِقَوْلِهِ سُبْحَانَهِ وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ حُنَفَاءِ وَقَوْلِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كل عمل ابن آدم له إلا السوم فإنه لي وأنا أجزي به يدع طعامه وشهوته من أجلي فلم فمن لم يذر طعامه وشهوته لله فليس بصائم So here now in this section it talks about the issue of the intention. The intention that is required for your fasting to be valid, just like the intention, the niyyah, is required for all acts of worship for them to be valid. As the scholars, they say, there are ruknan. There are two pillars to every act of worship being valid or acceptable. What are those two pillars? There is ikhlas and there is mutaba'ah. Sincerity to Allah, having that intention of sincerity and purity to Allah, and then doing it in accordance to the sunnah. Here it is the issue of that intention that it is being done as an act of worship for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why we said in the, the definition of fasting, what is the ta'rif, the had of fasting Islamically? If somebody asks you what is fasting Islamically, then what are you going to say? Don't know what fasting is? Uh-huh. Not eating and drinking for the sake of Allah? Anything else? Tawfiq? What do you mean tawfiq? Taqwa you mean? Ah. To hold back and to stop yourself from doing something that was lughatan, al-imsak. So shar'an, al-imsaku biniyyah, an al-mufattirat, min tulu' al-fajr al-thani ila ghurub al-shams. To hold back from the things that break your fast 
from the entry time of Fajr up until sunset with an intention. Because if somebody held back, did not eat, did not drink, did not do anything that breaks your fast, from Fajr all the way to Maghrib, but he never had an intention, then does it count as fasting shara'an? No. So you must have an intention. It's like they say, if you go to the seaside, and you jump into the sea, and you swim around and you get water everywhere, wet your whole body, then you come out, and then you realize it's time for prayer. So have you got wudu now or not? You've been in the sea, your whole body is wet, water everywhere. How have you not got wudu? Because you never made intention. So here, Shaykh al-Islam mentions that fasting will not be valid unless it is with an intention. Just like every act of worship. As Allah mentioned in the Quran, وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِسِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ حُنَثَاءَ that they were not commanded except to worship Allah sincerely. Hunafa uh, meaning upon Tawheed. And because of the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu in Al-Bukhari, a Muslim, that indeed actions are judged in accordance to your intentions. And then you have the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, that all of the actions of the sons of Adam are for them except fasting. That is for me, for Allah. And I am the one who recompenses them, rewards them upon it. That a person leaves his food and drink for my sake, for the sake of Allah, indicating your intention that you're doing this act of worship for the sake of Allah. فَمَنْ لَمْ يَذَرْ طَعَامَهُ وَشَهْوَتَهُ لِلَّهِ فَلَيْسَ بِصَائِمٍ So somebody who doesn't leave their food and drink for the sake of Allah, he leaves it for whatever other reason, he doesn't leave the food and drink for the sake of Allah, then he's not considered Islamically fasting. There are two issues to discuss in regards to the niyyah. The fact that you have to make this intention prior to the fasting overnight and ta'yinuha that you have to specify this intention amma tabiyitun niyyah fa inna as-sawma al-wajib alladhi wajaba al-imsak fihi min awwal an-nahar la yasihu illa bi niyyatin min al-layl firstly then the issue of having to make the intention prior to the fast beginning, meaning overnight before Fajr time entering. That, Shaykh al-Islam says, the obligatory fasting which you have to withhold in 
from the beginning of the day will not be valid unless if it is done with an intention from overnight from before the fajr time entering سَوَاءً فِي ذَلِكَ مَا تَعِيَّنَ زَمَانُهُ كَأَدَاءِ رَمَضَانُ وَالنَّظَرُ الْمُحِيَّنُ وَمَا لَمْ يَتَعِيَّنْ كَالْقَضَاءُ وَالْكَفَّارَ وَالنَّظَرُ الْمُطْلَقُ Whether, regardless, regardless of whether that fast is specified to a time, for example, Ramadan, the fasting is specified to a time, or if you make a vow to fast on a particular day, then your vowing fast is specified to a time. Or if they are open, not specified to any time. So for example, it could be the days you are making up from Ramadan, it's not specified any time up until next Ramadan. Or an open vow that isn't specified to a particular time, He's saying regardless of whether you've specified the time or not, the obligatory fasting, the intention has to be done overnight prior to before the Fajr time entering. Qala Ahmed fi riwayah or fi riwayati Abi Talib al-fard wal-qada wal-nadr يجمع عليه من الليل فإن لم يجمع عليه من الليل فلا صوم that the obligatory fasting or the making up of the obligatory fasting or the vowing all of these types you have to have the intention from the night before if you don't you make the intention afterwards you wake up after fajr at eight nine o'clock and you decide today let me just fast because you haven't eaten anything since before fajr it won't count like that you have to have the intention from the night before qala fi riwayat al-maymuni wa yahtaj fi ramadan an yubayyit as-siyam min al-layl so it requires that a person must make their intention from the night before. فَلَوْ أَنَّ رَجُلًا حَمِقَ فَقَالْ لَا أَصُومُ غَدًا ثُمَّ أَصْبَحَ فَقَالْ أَصُومُ لَا يُجْزِئُهُ عِنْدِي عِنْدَ مَنْ عِنْدَ أَحْمَدْ So, if a man he says, I'm not going to fast tomorrow. Then he wakes up and he says, okay, I'm going to fast. I'm going to fast today. That means prior to the time starting, prior to Fajr coming in, he had made an intention to actually not fast. Then in the morning he decided, okay, actually let me fast. So is it going to count now? Does not count in that way. Also, Shaykh al-Islam says it makes no, different, uh, uh, no difference as to whether you left that intention the night before even with some type of legitimate reason. For example, somebody fell unconscious. Somebody fell unconscious the night before and didn't wake up till after Fajr. 
So you never made any intention to fast that day. There's no fast for that day. You can't say, but I was unconscious. I was going to make the fast. I was thinking about it. If you didn't, even because of unconsciousness, then you didn't make the intention. Or you just didn't know about this ruling. So one day in the middle of the day, you decide, okay, let me fast today. You can't. You can't do that. It wouldn't count in that way. Um, قال في رواية الأثرم إذا لم يعظموا الصيام في أول الشهر فأصبحوا على غير صوم ثم تبين لهم أنه من رمضان فصاموا بقية يومهم فيقضون يوما مكانه وإن كانوا لم يأكلوا لأنه لا صيام لمن لم يجمع الصيام من الليل he says in this example, imagine now uh, you had not made the intention yet for the month of Ramadan, the sighting, the announcement hasn't happened. So you go to sleep thinking tomorrow is going to be 30th of Sha'ban yet. You wake up in the morning, all of a sudden notifications everywhere that it was sighted somewhere and today is the first of Ramadan. So now what do you do in that situation? On the 29th, apparently no announcement anywhere. So you go to sleep that night after Isha thinking tomorrow is 30th of Sha'ban yet. You wake up in the morning at 9 a.m. or something, notifications, millions of WhatsApp messages and everything telling you that late at night somewhere the announcement came out. It is the first of Ramadan today. So now what do you do? Because clearly you had not made an intention the night before before Fajr to fast today that morning you got up, you prayed your Fajr you went to sleep again thinking today is 30th of Sha'ban now later on in the day, in the morning you've discovered actually they're saying today is the first of Ramadan you never made your intention before Fajr so what do you do now? so you don't fast that day Make it up after because it's not going to count because you didn't make the intention before Fajr. Okay? You have to fast it and make it up afterwards. Well, that's, that's true. You have to make it up after Eid because you can't make it up before Eid. You're still going to be doing the rest of Ramadan yet. So that's, as they say, stating the obvious. That is correct over there. In that situation, you would have to fast the rest of the day now that the news has come to you. Now that the news has come to you, suddenly you would have to fast the rest of the day. But you would also have to make it up afterwards that one day because you didn't fast that day with an intention from overnight before Fajr time. So that is what is mentioned here. What if though you hadn't eaten or drunk? You thought tomorrow was going to be 30th of Sha'ban. As normal, you just prayed your Fajr and you went to sleep. You didn't eat, drink nothing after Fajr. You got up to have your breakfast now and you see the million notifications. Million notifications telling you actually they saw it, they saw it. It's Ramadan. You haven't eaten or drunk anything yet. All this day. So now what's the ruling? 
Same. Absolutely same. Doesn't make a difference if you didn't eat or drink. The point is you didn't have the intention from the beginning of the day. Then he says, وَهَذَا إِنَّمَا هُوَ فِي الْفَرْضِ All of this, what we're talking about, applies to obligatory fasting. Superrogatory fasting. The nawafil, the nafal. Then it's a different ruling. For a, an optional fast, not Ramadan ones, not the making up of Ramadan ones. Just an optional fast. One day you decide to fast. Optional fast. Nothing to do with Ramadan or making up or anything. Middle of the year, one day you decide to fast. Is it the same rulings or not? It is not. So what is the ruling for optional fasts? So with an optional fast, imagine one day you get up, you pray Fajr, and then you just go to sleep, no food, no drink since Fajr. And you wake up, you get up, you go do your thing, you're busy all day, you don't get a chance to eat anything till Dhuhr. So then you think to yourself, you know what, half the day is gone. I haven't eaten or drunk anything all day anyway, it's half the day gone now. Let me just make an intention to call today a fast. And I'll carry on and I'll just eat at Maghrib time. As an optional fast, will that count? He's making his intention in the middle of the day. As an optional fast, it counts. As an obligatory one, it would not count. For obligatory fasts, the intention has to be from before Fajr. For optional fasts, that type of scenario is possible. You haven't eaten or drunk or done anything all day. And so you decide, okay, in that case, let me just call it a fast for the day. Let me fast today then. I might as well. I haven't eaten or drunk anything all day. I haven't done anything all day that breaks your fast. I'll just make the intention now and open at Maghrib and get the reward of fasting. For optionally, yes, you can. The evidence is... How do you know that? Your sister told you? When did she tell you? Last year. So you remembered it from last year. Nobody told you since last year. How old are you? Ten. MashaAllah. So he's remembered a hadith from last year. There was a hadith. And one time, hadith of who? Abu Huraira <laughs> Aisha radiyallahu anha Saduq So it was the hadith of Aisha radiyallahu anha She said Dakhala alayya Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yawmin faqal Hal indakum shay That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came home one day And he said do you have anything is there any food Qulna la Qal inni idhan they said, Aisha said, we have nothing to eat. So he said, in that case, I'm fasting. So this is a proof that you can make your intention in the middle of the day, but it's for optional fasting. Last year we did another hadith as well. 
which told us that obligatory fasting, you have to do the niyyah before Fajr. And that was the hadith of Hafsah. Radiallahu anha. And she said in that hadith, Man lam sayama qabla al-fajr fala sayama Whomsoever doesn't make the intention before Fajr, then there is no fasting for him. So this is the topic here that Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala is discussing and talking about uh, the issue of making the intention before the night. And he mentions here the hadith of Hafsa عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أنه قال من لم يجمع الصيام قبل الفجر فلا صيام له رواه الخمسة Whomsoever doesn't make that intention before uh, Fajr, before the Fajr time enters, then there is no fast for him. And there are other narrations he quotes here. لا صيام لمن لم يفرضه من الليل In one narration, لمن لم يورضه That whoever doesn't make that intention from the night, from before Fajr time, then there is no fast for him. But do you have to make the intention every night? Or in Ramadan, can you just make one big intention for the whole month at the beginning? Huh? One big intention at the beginning on the first night for the whole of Ramadan? Or do you have to make an intention every night? Whole month? It is a difference of opinion between the scholars. Some of them say you have to make an intention every night. Every night for the following day. And others they say one intention on the first night of Ramadan is sufficient. Because on the first night of Ramadan you are now going to intend in your mind that you're going to be fasting this whole month. That intention for the whole month is already there. From that very first night. When you put your alarms in and everything, you're going to wake up for your suhoor. From that very first night in your intent, your intention is that you're going to fast now every day for a month. So some scholars say that one intention is done. You don't have to think about that intention again. In terms of stopping to think about the intention again, it's done. Others, they say every night you have to have that intention. And they say... Your actions indicate your intention as well anyway. The very fact that every night you put your alarm and fasuhur indicates you have an intention to fast. It indicates your intention to fast. So that is regarding the intention. Let's uh, break for the prayer. And then after the prayer we'll do a little bit more as well on some of the topics uh, following on from that inshallah. So that is the topic regarding the intention that we've just done. There is a lot more here, but if we go through all of it, 
we would never get beyond the first chapter for all of these lessons. We're going to have to summarize and move through the different topics. The next chapter then is Babu Ahkamil Muftirina fi Ramadan. The chapter regarding the ones who are allowed to miss the fasting during Ramadan. What are the rulings for those people who are allowed to miss the fasting during Ramadan? He says, Mas'alah wa yubahu al-fitr fi Ramadan li-arba'ati aqsam. That there are four types of people who are allowed to miss the fasting. Ahadiha al-marid al-ladhi yatadharraru bih. Somebody who is ill and will be harmed by fasting. Secondly, والمسافر الذي له القصر The traveler who is at the distance where he's allowed to shorten the prayer. So he is a traveler. فذيس تو he says, فَالْفِطْرُ لَهُمَا أَفْضَلُ وَعَلَيْهِمَا الْقَضَاءُ وَإِنْ صَامَا أَجْزَأَهُمَا For these first two categories, which all come together, the one who is ill and the one who is traveling, it is better for them to not fast, and to make up later. But if they fast, it counts. A person who is traveling, it mentions in the text that it is better for him not to fast. But if he fasts, it does count. And the person who is ill, who will be harmed by the fasting, like we said before, it may cause more pain or uh, prolong the illness somewhat Better for him not to fast But in both of these instances If they decided to fast The one traveling and the one ill The fast would count So this is the first category The traveler and the ill person Ahaduha Oh, no, he says, There are different things to say about this topic here now, about the ill person and the traveling person. First thing to say is, The ill person who will be harmed by the fasting or prolong the, the illness upon him, etc., those things we mentioned, and the traveler, both of them, it is allowed for them to miss the fasting. لقوله سبحانه وتعالى كتب عليكم الصيام كما كتب على الذين من قبلكم لعلكم تتقون أياما معدودات فمن كان منكم مريضا أو على سفر فعدة من أيام أخر Allah mentioned in the Quran in Surah Al-Baqarah 
that this fasting has been prescribed upon you as it was upon those who came before you so that you may achieve taqwa and it is limited days it is those numbered days of Ramadan but whomsoever from amongst you is ill or upon a journey then make up other days meaning you don't have to fast when you're on a journey or ill instead make it up on other days and also شهر رمضان الذي أنزل فيه القرآن هدى للناس وبينات من الهدى والفرقان فمن شهد منكم شهر فليصمه ومن كان مريضا أو على سفر فعدة من أيام أخر Again, whomsoever is ill or upon a journey then other days are done. A number of other days are done in their place. So it is clear from the rulings of the Sharia that a person who is traveling or a person who is ill, then they are allowed to miss fasting. That is in the ayat of the Quran. And there are many ahadith that indicate that meaning. Many ahadith that indicate the meaning. He says, قَدْ istafadat al-ahadith. Meaning that they are widespread. Istafawat. They are widespread, those ahadith from the Prophet. Al ahadithu an Rasulillah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bi ibahatil fidr lil musafir. Fal marid awla. Wahada mimma ajma alayhi muslimuna fil jumla. And this is something that the Muslims are generally all agreed upon. That a traveler is allowed to miss and somebody ill is allowed to miss. Second point. Al-Fasl al-Thani. Anna safar al-mubih lil-fitr. Huwa safar al-mubih lil-qasr. That the traveling that allows you to miss your fasting is the same traveling that allows you to Shorten your prayers. فالسفر المبيح للفطر هو السفر المبيح للقصر على ما مضى لأن ابن عمر وابن عباس كان It mentions here now that ابن عمر and ابن عباس رضي الله عنهم they used to shorten their four ركعات or they used to shorten rather burut in the four burut this is a distance a certain distance when traveling you have the different opinions about what is classed as a journey the burud is one quantification which will have to double check but I believe one is only three miles which would make this 12 miles and that is possible there are opinions of scholars stating that you can start combining at 12 miles or thereabouts there are opinions of that there are many different opinions as to what classes as a journey and therefore 
the rulings of shortening the prayer of not having to fast would then apply. In terms of quantification, there is an opinion mentioned by some scholars of how many miles or kilometers? 50 what? Miles? 50 miles or 49 miles, approximately 80 kilometers. That is an opinion. That traveling is only classed as traveling beyond a distance of 49 miles or 80 kilometers. Other opinions for traveling, when is it classed as traveling? The urf of the people, the tradition or the habit or the norm of the people. So if it is the norm of the people, the the habit of the, the culture of the people of Manchester, that when they go to, for example, uh, Bury or Rochdale or somewhere around these surrounding places that are recognized as Greater Manchester, if it was the norm of the people in Manchester to say that going to Bury, for example, that is a long way. That is a journey. And everybody in Manchester, that is their thought process, that going to Bury is a long way. That is a journey. Then it would be classed as a journey, and you could combine your prayers there, and you could miss your fasting if you were going to Bury. If, however, the norm of the people is to consider Bury to be around the corner, it's just a quick trip there and a quick trip back. Nobody considers it as a trip, as a journey. Then in the tradition of the people, you would not be able to classify that Islamically as a journey and you wouldn't be able to shorten your prayers there or combine. How do you know what the culture or the urf of the people is? How do you determine that? From the actions and the behaviors of people. So if you now tell, tell your friends you're going to bury tomorrow. You tell your friends you're going to go to bury tomorrow. So they say, MashaAllah, bury. In that case, Akhi, we should have a dinner tonight, a leaving party. Get together, you know, have some meal tonight. You're going to bury tomorrow. We should come together. We'll eat tonight. We'll, we'll sit together. Tomorrow you're going to go off to bury. So would you do that type of thing? No. When you set off to bury, would you take your, check your tire pressures and check your water and your oil and uh, pack your lunch and everything and make sure you got enough fuel? Would you do all of those things to go to bury? It wouldn't occur to you to do any of those things. It wouldn't occur to you to have a leaving dinner the night before for the brother who's going to bury to pick up something from August and back. You wouldn't do that. So in the norms of the people, you understand. In the norms of the people going to bury from Manchester, nobody really considers that a journey by the actions and the behaviors and the mentality of people. That is how you determine the norms of the people. If you say to somebody, London, now they will say to you, ah, just make sure you check your tire pressures before you set off. Make sure you check your oil, that kind of thing. You know, it's a long journey. It happened to me before I broke down once. 
That type of thing would be normal speech now. That type of thing would be normal accustomed speech. Check your ties before you go, make sure this, make sure that. Make sure you set off early, miss the traffic. Because all of these things indicate that you recognize London is a trek. It's a long way. So you need to make all of these preparations. So now in the mentality of the people, it's known and recognized. Going to London from here, that is a journey. It's a long way. So that is how you determine the traditions of the people. By their behaviors and their mentality on things. Going to bury... Somebody says to you, Achim, make sure you check your tire pressures, it's a long way. They'll probably laugh thinking you're making a joke because in the mentality of the people, what are you talking about? Bury just there. So in the urf of the people, it's not a journey. You mention Birmingham and you start talking about tire pressures and uh, uh, petrol, check your fuel and everything. That is okay, normal talk. You're going to drive from here 100 miles to Birmingham. It's a normal thing for somebody to say, make sure you check your fuel level before you go. I ran out last time myself. So somebody may say that to you. And that is normal. So that indicates the urf is, that is a journey. That's how you determine the urf. And that is one of the ways of determining what a journey is. The urf of the people, the norm of the people. If you're taking a flight to London and it's only 40 minutes, the time that it takes you to make a journey is not typically relevant. It, it's not relevant like that. Because nowadays, going from here to Mecca, it's six hours, seven hours, that's it. In those days, six, seven hours of walking would barely get you anywhere. Six or seven hours of walking, you'd be nowhere yet compared to what you can do today. But that doesn't impact upon the rulings of a journey. A journey is what constitutes a journey in the urf of the people on this particular topic. And in the urf of the people, nobody would oppose the fact that it's a journey because it's a plane ride. If you said to somebody, tomorrow I'm going to London from Manchester... I'm going to take the flight though. It's still a journey. And people are still going to say to you, well, just give me a text when you land. Make sure that you, know, you got there safely. Give me a text when you get there. Make sure you, know, you go early, check in. It's still in the minds of the people a journey whether you're taking a flight there. And in fact, the fact, the very fact that you're taking a flight would instantly trigger the reaction in the minds of the people that you're going on a journey because you don't take a flight to bury if you're gonna take a flight then that instantly gives the reaction to people that you're going on a journey that it is somewhere at a distance it is somewhere that is far because if it wasn't there wouldn't be a flight so that doesn't make a difference about it being 40 minutes or shorter if you're on a long distance you're going somewhere far it's recognized amongst the people it's far then it's a journey still not necessarily. If you're taking the opinion of the urf of the people, then you're taking the opinion of the urf of the people. If the urf of the people is, for example, that Sheffield, 40 miles from here maybe, 50 miles, 40, 50. If the urf of the people is, Sheffield is not a journey, then that is the urf of the people. 
And if we're taking that opinion, then you wouldn't be allowed to combine or shorten there. You can't then say, but the urf of the people here is that they go to Birmingham and it's nothing for them. So that's a bit much. I want to be able to now take the 49 mile opinion. You can't do that then. If you're upon a particular opinion and that's what you're following and that's how it is, then that's what you follow. If the urf of the people, it could be, you could go to a place where they travel out to bury and that's a journey. They believe that's a journey. That may be the case and there are evidences indicating that 10 miles, 12 miles. There is another method as well scholars have mentioned which is perhaps sometimes and often one of the shortest methods too. To leave the outskirts and the buildings of your city. They say when you travel and you travel outside of the boundaries of your area, your city, you're now a traveler. Because you've gone outside the boundaries of your area. So here, if we were to say, for example, Manchester is the boundaries of our area. That would mean then if you go to Bury, you're a traveler. Because that is considered Greater Manchester, is it? It's outside of the Manchester area anyway. So if you were taking that opinion, when you get to Bury, you've left the boundaries of Manchester. If you take the opinion of Greater Manchester, then just beyond Bury, that's outside of Greater Manchester too. I think Bury is basically the boundary of Greater Manchester that way. So if you go another five minutes down the motorway past Bury, then upon that opinion now you've gone outside the boundaries of Greater Manchester. And so you're a traveler five minutes down the road from Bury. So there is an opinion, if you leave the boundaries of your area, and they say in the books of fiqh, you leave the buildings of your area. In those days, especially how the villages and cities were, when you walk out of it, then that's it. You see all your village and city there. So when you leave the boundaries of your area, the buildings and everything, and you're outside of that, you're a traveler, according to an opinion. But there are various opinions about what traveling is and what constitutes a journey. The opinion Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah mentioned is the urf of the people. Because the urf of the people, it generally matches. You're not going to go to a particular city. And in that city, they travel 10 miles down the road and they say that's a journey. That's a long way. Usually not. Normally, anywhere you go, if it's a 10 mile trip somewhere from that given location... The urf of the people will typically be, that's not a journey. Ten miles is just there. Normally. In some places it might be different. You go to central London, ten miles is a one-hour car ride. Ten miles is a one-hour car journey. So then, often you might find that they consider that ten-mile trip a journey. When they get to that area, it's a one-hour ride in the car. One hour. Fifty minutes to an hour for ten miles. And so when they get there, they may consider that a journey, possibly. But usually, you could say, as an average, if you are taking the norms of the people, normally, and you can all give us your input here, but normally I would say, you're looking at the boundaries of around 40 miles, 50 miles. Within 40 miles or so, People wouldn't start saying, okay, let's have a meal before you set off. Let's check your tire pressures before you set off. Pack your lunch before you set off. 40 miles, where are we at 40 miles? From here to Stoke, for example. From here to Stoke, 40 miles. If you go from here to Stoke, 
maybe an hour in traffic, 50 minutes, an hour, then do the people consider that a journey in the urf of the people? It's borderline. Borderline. Possibly, very possibly, that 40 miles going all the way down to Stoke, it's, you know, it's all the way to Stoke. Maybe. Maybe. So I, the urf of the people, I would think, and it would appear we have an objection coming up, I would think maybe 40, 50 miles. Less than that, people aren't going to say it's a journey typically in the earth, meaning by their actions. They're not going to say, okay, let's check my tire pressure, let's check if I got fuel, if you're going on a 30-mile trip. Brothers here tonight have traveled maybe 20 miles from South Manchester. So it depends. But what you got to say? So are you a traveler when you go to Stoke? Of course. So, the urf of the people will be what the people consider to be a journey and that will be determined by their actions and their behaviors if they start doing things which indicate that they are going on a journey now, then so be it. So maybe it could be 30 miles even. It could be 30 miles when people start hitting 30 mile mark. They say, okay, beyond that now, that's a bit far. So it all depends on that. That's one of the opinions. Based upon... The fact that you are now on a journey, when you are on a journey then, it is allowed to miss the fasting and it is allowed to shorten the prayer. So he says the type of traveling where you're allowed to miss the fasting is the same traveling when you're allowed to shorten the prayer. The same. The ruling is the same. المطلق هو السفر الذي يتكرر فيه الشت والحل وذلك هو مسافة القصر he mentions here because a journey is where you have to pack your bags basically basically in a nutshell when you go on a journey you pack your bags in our terms these days it means you check your fuel in the car you might check other bits and bobs you might make organizations you say to your family i'm going to be this many hours and this and that and you look at traffic and google maps all of that indicating you know you're about to go on a journey that's the equivalent of packing your bags these days and it may be literally packing the bags too then he mentions al-marad al-mubih what is the type of illness that allows you to miss the fasting he says a type of illness whereby if you fasted, it would increase the illness. That is one criteria. A type of illness whereby if you fasted, it would increase the illness. Also, an illness whereby if you fasted, it may not necessarily increase the illness. But the illness you have is such that you just cannot fast with it. It is such and it is doing something to your body, this illness, the way you are in this illness, you just can't fast. It's drained the energy out of you. It's done whatever it's done to you, this illness, the way it is, and you just can't fast with it. You have no energy, you have no ability to fast with the illness, okay? Uh, 
So a person who cannot burden fasting because of the nature of his illness, or a person whose illness would increase, get worse, prolong, the pain gets more, then in those circumstances the person is allowed to miss. If the person decided even with this pain, even though it might take a day or two longer to get better, I'm going to fast anyway. I'm going to go through it and fast. Allowed or not? Allowed. Will it count or not? It will count. It is better though, as it was mentioned in that circumstance, to not fast and to make it up later. قال في رواية صالح والمريض يفطر إذا لم يستطع قيل مثل الحمى قال وأي مرض أشد من الحمى So it's mentioned in one of the, the narrations from who? Which is again often indicating It does often indicate the narration going to Ahmed. But he says, the ill person can open his fast, he can miss it if he can't fast, if he's unable. It was said to him, like the person who's got a fever, he said, and what illness is more severe than a fever? A proper, actual fever, as opposed to having a cold. A cold, a person has a bit of a cold, a bit of grogginess. That's different to having a full-on fever. Having a proper fever is something a lot more severe than just symptoms of a cold or even a, a, a severe cold. So a strong fever would be an example of uh, being allowed to miss the fast. It's also mentioned المريض إذا خشي على نفسه أو على بعض أعضائه التلف يفطر If the ill person fears upon himself or some of his organs or body parts that if he fasts he could do damage to them then again he's allowed to miss the fasting فإذا احتاج إلى أن يفطر ببعض أسباب الفطر جاز له غيره مثل أن يحتاج إلى كحل عينه أو إلى الجماع لإزالة الشبق. So now if that person is ill and has one of these legitimate reasons not to fast, then as a consequence, other things that normally a fasting person can't do, he can now do. If a person is ill and has one of these legitimate reasons not to fast, so he's allowed to not fast. So he's not fasting. Is he allowed to now, for example, have intercourse? His wife has also got some legitimate reason not to be fasting. Yes. So for example, they're on a journey. Uh, he falls ill. He's traveling anyway as well. His wife is with him traveling. So they both have reason not to be fasting. So they're both allowed not to fast. Are they allowed to have intercourse now? They're allowed not to fast because they are both traveling. 
Are they allowed to have intercourse though? <laughs> of course they can. You know, once in Hajj, I was in Hajj in 2010, and I was working on those translation booths. All around Hajj in Mina, Muzdalifa, Arafah, you have these booths. What do you call them? What's a better word for it? Huh? Information desks, these information cabinets, these small round things, and there's normally inverted commas, a sheikh or a professor or some doctor, some, some high-ranking individual, some da'wah person sat in there, and people come and they ask questions. It's a, a, a da'wah kind of cabinet, question Q&A cabinet, all hujjaj, they can come and ask their questions. Obviously, not everybody speaks Arabic, so they have these translators there. So I was working as a translator one year. On the day of Eid, it was the day of Eid, I think. Day of Eid. A man came, will withhold, we will withhold his nationality. A man came and he said that he's done the shaving, he's done the stoning, the stoning, the shaving, the stoning, shaving, tawaf, and slaughtering. So he's done all of that, which means he is now in complete exit from ihram. Once you've done all of those things, you are now in complete exit from ihram. So he'd done all of those things now, so he was in complete exit from ihram, and he came to one of these booths, one of these, the da'wah cabinet things. He came to one of them and he said, uh, talking to the, the professor who was there, he said, oh, Sheikh, you know, uh, I've, uh, uh, you know, I've done my stoning, I did my shaving, I did my slaughtering, I've done my tawaf. Uh, uh, I've had intercourse today. I'm, is, I'm, I'm, I'm good, I'm okay, or, or you know, is there anything upon me? What's upon me? I had intercourse today. So the Sheikh said to him, you've done your stoning, you've done your everything, you've done all your stuff. He said, yeah, I've done all that, I've done all that. He said, Ala barakatillah in that case. Ala barakatillah. In that case, it's all good, you're allowed. It's allowed. So in this case, it is allowed. Because now that you have a reason to not have to fast, you're not fasting. So all of the rest of the stuff does not now apply to you. So he says in that situation, it would be allowed to do the other things as well. The third part here he says, أَنَّ الْمَرِيضِ يُسْتَحَبُّ لَهُ الْفِطْرِ وَيُكْرَهُ لَهُ السَّوْمِ فَإِنْ صَامَ أَجْزَأَهُ A person who is ill upon the types of things we discussed before, it is better, mustahab, that he doesn't fast. And it is disliked that he fasts in that difficulty and illness. But if he does, it will count. Mustahab and makruh, when they mention those definitions in Usul al-Fiqh, then the definition of mustahab is 
ما يثاب فاعله ولا يعاقب تاركه أن مكروه يثاب تاركه ولا يعاقب فاعله so in that case the one who is ill and doesn't fast then that is closest to the implementation of the sunnah that is better that is what you should do and that is where the reward is for him to do that but if he didn't do that he fasted he has the reward for fasting he has the reward for fasting that day and it counts for that day but yukrah it would not be in terms of the reward for his fast that all of the reward for his fast is gone or that it's not going to be applicable the yukrah here i don't know if it really is in terms of the the usage of the words is in terms of ahkam fiqhiyah so it would be more likely just to say linguistically that the person it is recommended as we say for him not to fast when he's in that state and it is disliked for him to fast when he's in that state when you're ill and it's difficult and it's a burden then better not to fast this becomes more clear in the topic of the traveler what is better for a traveler to do is it better for a traveler to fast when traveling or not to fast when traveling what is better for the traveler not to fast because it's a burden but he's going to take a flight to london 40 minutes no burden in that takes what 20 minutes to drive to the airport from here then you get in your suitcases are got the wheels on the anyway don't have to drag nothing now then when you get past security you stand on the travel lady don't have to move your legs it just takes you and then when you get to your airport you sit down in the aeroplane you sit in your comfortable seat you recline back 40 degrees wherever they go so is there difficulty in traveling these days a sheikh al fawzan said these days there's going to be a lot of people who do not find difficulty in traveling because a young fit man these days you could do a long haul flight and say that there is no burden in traveling in that and it's completely true when uh, we used to be in medina every summer coming and going you see the businessmen the businessmen used to get on from here at london with their suits on and their briefcase sit down on the airplane on their laptop the whole journey get off and go straight to their meeting like you catch a bus here to go to your work they catch the airplane to go to work it's no no such thing as okay get off now we need to go to the hotel this and that they're already in their suits they got their briefcase they're doing their thing for seven hours on the plane they get off and they get straight to their office and everything and carry on so a lot of people these days traveling isn't a burden but what's better then should you still say it's not a burden but i'm not going to fast Or should you say well it's not a burden in that case I'll fast what is better for the person traveling Mhm It's the sunnah not to fast when you're traveling you have to give us evidence then if it's the sunnah Mhm Anybody else with any evidences
We mentioned it briefly just the other week at the beginning, I think. Some of the scholars, they say, that it is mustahab in terms of the meaning of the word, that you'll get rewarded for it. It's better, closer to the sunnah, that you don't fast when traveling, even if you have the ability. Because, inna allaha yuhibbu an tu'tarukhasuhu, Allah loves that you take the exceptions and the ease and the, the permissions Allah gives you. Allah's given you a permission to miss fasting when you're traveling, so take that permission. In Allah yuhibbu an tu'tarukhasu. In the other one, hiya rukhsatu min Allah, faman akhada biha fahasanun. It's a license Allah's given you. Whoever takes it, then good. So some scholars say, take that. When you're traveling, don't fast. Even if it's an easy journey, even if you're fit and healthy, no problem. Just don't fast when you're traveling. Implement this sunnah of not. That is an opinion of some scholars. The others, they say, no. You have to look at the angle of obligations. The obligations that are upon your shoulders, you need to fulfill them as soon as possible. That dhimmah, that obligation, that responsibility which is upon you, fulfill it as soon as possible. So if the journey is easy, then fast. And don't leave days to make up afterwards. But that is all if you have ability. If you don't have ability, then you should not fast when traveling. There is a hadith on one occasion, they were traveling in severe heat. Some of them were fasting, some of them were not. After a while in that severe heat, the ones who were fasting collapsed. They couldn't carry on. The others who were not fasting, obviously they, their thirst was quenched. They had food, they had energy. They then had to take the responsibility and set up all of the tents and go and feed the camels and give them water and everything. The ones who'd been fasting that day collapsed. Their energy gone in the heat and everything. The ones who weren't fasting took care of all the responsibilities, the tents and everything then. So the Prophet said, the ones who weren't fasting, they've taken the reward for today. They've taken the reward for today. So that indicated in a situation where you're not capable, it's such a burden, it's better you don't fast. That day was severe heat. The ones who didn't fast, they did better. The ones who fasted, they collapsed. And they couldn't set up the tents, they couldn't go feed the camels, nothing. So if you don't have the ability, you shouldn't fast when traveling. If you have the ability, then it's a choice. If you wish to fast, you fast. If you wish to miss it, you can miss it. We're going to round off there for tonight. Any questions or anything? No, once you get to the distance of traveling. So let's say, for example, it was the opinion of 49 miles. So you're not going to be a traveler up until two or three minutes of flight time or whatever it takes to travel 50 miles. Now you've gone past the boundary of traveling, now you're a traveler. You're going on train to London and you take the 49 mile opinion, then you're not a traveler until the train goes past Stoke on Trent. You're not a traveler before that. So you're a traveler at the point where you, trans you go beyond the, the distance of traveling. So if you set off now to go to London uh, at uh, 1 p.m. By 2 p.m. or let's say you set off at uh, 1.30 p.m. 
uh, and uh, you're going in your car, lot of traffic, by 2.30 p.m., you've only managed to make 20 miles down the M6. Right now, according to that opinion, you are still not a traveler. You can't stop off at the services and say, okay, you know what, let's just pray Dhuhr and Asr combined and shortened. You're not a traveler yet. You have to get to the distance of being a traveler, then you're a traveler. Alright, what if one day you never had any intention to travel? So you got up and you had your suhoor, everything fasting as normal. Then something comes up, some emergency in the middle of the day, you have to go down to London. So straight away there and then you've now got this intention to travel, you get in your car and you start traveling. But you were fasting that day, you didn't know you were going to travel. So are you allowed to break your fast? Yes, because now you're traveling. You're allowed to break your fast now because now you have become a traveler and therefore you've got one of the reasons to break your fast. In fact, some of the scholars say if you knew you were going to travel at 1 p.m. for example, you have to fast from the morning up until that time. Because from the morning up until 1 p.m. or 2 p.m., you're not yet a traveler until you actually set off. So some people, they wouldn't fast the whole day saying my flight's at 1 o'clock, I'm going to go today. Other scholars, they say, no, you can't do that. Up until your flight actually takes off and leaves, before that point, all morning, you're not yet a traveler. So why are you not fasting? Upon the intention that I'm going to become a traveler? Where is that in the narrations? They say, no, it's not upon the intention you're going to become a traveler that day. When you become a traveler, you have a reason. Before that, you don't have a reason. So some scholars say you have to fast the morning up until that point. Other scholars, they say, if you know you're definitely traveling that day, inshallah, you've got your plane tickets, train tickets, all booked, ready, confirmed, bags packed, you're going. Then you don't have to fast that whole day, some scholars say. If you know with certainty, inshallah, all factors being equal, you're going to go that day, then you don't have to. But others say you have no reason to yet. Even then, you don't know. You get to the airport and your flight is cancelled. You never get beyond Manchester airport all day. So why weren't you fasting that day then? That's why they say you should fast up until you actually become a traveler. Hmm. Even in Ramadan, inshallah, we're going to have two sessions. The first two Saturdays of Ramadan, we'll have the classes on at an earlier time. About 7.30 p.m. 7.15 p.m., something like that. We'll work out the exact time. So we can finish maybe 45 minutes before Maghrib. So we can be done by about 8 o'clock. And that gives everybody time to go do what you need to do before iftar as well. So there'll be two sessions in Ramadan as well yet. We have a bit of time. No, that'll be right at the end, I expect. Oh, I see. <laughs> well, even the, uh, all the other rulings that we're going to do in the two weeks in Ramadan, they're all going to be relevant to prior to Ramadan as well. But okay, well, inshallah, we'll try and do it next week then. Inshallah, next week then we'll try and do the issue of the pregnant women and breastfeeding women and the rulings and the differences of opinion. Inshallah, we'll do it next week then. Hmm.
No, no. No, no, just a meal from the average food of that country, what they eat, half a sa'ah, which I think works out about 750 grams or something. Something along, along those lines. Normal standard meal, huh? There was a photo recently we came across where? For that, the fidya will double check it for this week. It can be your homework for this week. The fidya that you have to give, is it a condition that it has to be to a Muslim poor person? Or could it be given to a kafir poor person? In some rulings of the religion, it is open. You're allowed to give it to kafir or Muslim. But in some rulings, it is specific to Muslims. So for that one there, that's your homework for this week. The fidya that you have to give or the feeding of the poor person, does it have to be a Muslim or can it be a non-Muslim? Bring us the fatawa for next week. What was the homework from last week? Who was the Sahabi that cited the moon in that hadith we did last year? Didn't check your notes? Abdullah ibn Umar. It was Abdullah ibn Umar. Alright, we'll conclude upon that for tonight. Next week, 8 p.m. again. Next week, 8 p.m. again, inshallah.